anyway, it's yeah. I know. I was thinking that there are two basic kinds of wishes, and one kind of wish would be coming from my ego or my psychology. And that kind of wish would be like, I want to be rich, or I want to be famous, or I want to have a Mercedes or a BMW, or I want to mm, have a fancy job or something like that, these kinds of wishes. And there's another kind of wish that I don't think comes from the ego at all. I think it comes from more of a central place of what we are. Like the wish comes out of, for me it's like, these wishes are instructions for how to become me or how to unfold into my life. And, and um, the first thing I need to learn about wishes is to make a distinction between these two kinds of wishes because I think I could be fooled. I think I could really be fooled for a long time about trying to fulfill a wish that comes from my mind or from my ego that if I spend all my time and energy in my life trying to fulfill this wish and I finally succeed, it won't actually satisfy me. Whereas the kinds of wishes that come from my being or my essential self, they might be impossible to accomplish, but yet even orienting myself towards trying to accomplish these impossible wishes is the most satisfying thing I could ever do. But to the mind, it drives the mind crazy to have a wish for something that's so big, you know, like heal the earth or bring peace to human beings or have there be no starving children or create a world that really works for everybody. Or there's so many big wishes like that that could drive a person um, into a magnificent life, but without uh, without the clarity that it's okay to try to accomplish an impossible wish, we're stuck in just trying to have a certain number of euros in our bank account or trying to buy a certain kind of a house or something like that. And um, it's these mysterious wishes, I think, that are the most valuable and interesting, but also the most foreign to us um, in terms of our culture. because. Uh, I think each of us, like I have my own really big deep wishes and for half of my life I would never tell people what they are and I wouldn't even be able to really admit it to myself what they are. I would keep them secret. But I had this in the back of my mind. I knew what those wishes were and then when I talked to other people in a safe way, in a safe place, they're willing and able to tell me about their wishes and they're often shocked or surprised about the intensity of the wish of how strong it is for them and how central it is to their to their life but they hadn't really realized it or focused on it for their whole life up until now somehow um i cuz sometimes um also this wish to be rich for example mm -hmm can be, I think, a part of a deep wish, which is true. What I, what I found out is that somehow the deep wishes are not as linear as I thought 
they would be. Mm -hmm. And I wonder too of which material they are. Somehow I feel like the the somehow the material changes of different wishes. Because hmm. um, so for me, I think also for different people, it's a different. Um, I think for different people, the wishes express differently. Mm -hmm. And for me, for example, it's really like um, um, like a sort of material that that comes up, and when I know, it's it's not even a it's not even a um, entscheidung a, a decision. Mm -hmm. But I know, I see it, that it has to be like that. Mm -hmm. I, I see this picture and it's like a kind of material that's coming up. But I'm, I don't know if you know what I'm talking well, about. Well, it seems like the kind of material that a wish is made of depends on where the wish comes from. Like which world it comes from or which dimension it comes from. because. <laughs> yeah, actually, if you want, every time a train comes by, you could pause. And Marion and I have a agreement that when the train comes by, we just stop talking. <laughs> after the the first word after is always what? <laughs> what did you say? So we just wait. It's a little uh, train meditation. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're experiencing the the material or substance that the wish is made out of and that's a you know I'm a guy so my orientation about wishes is where do the where does the wish want to take me where where do, where do I want to go where's the where does the wish drive me to go or do something or make something or experience something or become something but it's um uh, the that's the interesting question for me is like what if I actually commit to a wish what happens to me I think when I actually commit to fulfilling a wish even if I don't know how that I am changed by that commitment and I think the people around me know it for example one of my wishes is to start a new country and I've had this wish since I was born but I was not willing to admit it until about two months ago. And then I started to tell people, and it turned out that there are other people who also wanted to start a new country. And so all of a sudden, this my commitment to this, fulfilling this wish, even though it seems impossible or it's illegal or you know people don't know how to do this or it breaks international rules or whatever, doesn't matter. What matters is the commitment to the wish then I'm changed by it and then it turns out other people around me are changed by it and this is some some mystery to me about a wish you know many people have wishes and many people have many different kinds of wishes but a wish is is nothing until you commit to it it's like it, something really alchemical happens when you commit to a wish and then um, the, a whole process starts that wouldn't have started when you just imagine a wish or think about a wish 
or fantasize about a wish, or but actually to try to bring the wish into into the world as a real thing, like that takes commitment and the commitment changes us. Would you say that there there are wishes that have to be fulfilled no matter in what time or what life? That they stay with you? It looks like that to me. It looks like that. When I look back at previous lives, they've all been oriented along similar lines. I think there's kind of... Mm, I think the universe has a wish. And I think the wish of the universe influences anybody who's willing to be influenced by that wish. I think human beings have a mechanism, a very strong and, and um, clever mechanism that's able to block us from experiencing the wish of the universe upon us. And it's like ego. It's like an egotistical, mm, this is my life, or mm, I'm me, or I'm disconnected from the universe, or I'm alone, or I'm a, I'm a lone wolf, single fighter. These, these things keep us separated from that wish, but I think the wish from the universe is, is pervasive, and I think it can even influence us, influence us on, a, on an everyday basis. On a moment-to-moment -moment basis, the wish of the universe could be there for us. Um, when, uh, for example, I, um, a guy came here yesterday who I never met before, and he came because he, he was following an impulse or a, a wish of the universe that he heard a little bit about the kind of work we do and he says I have to meet this guy and he and I he called me up and says I need an appointment and I said well, who are you and, and he goes well here's my website but I don't have time to talk now so we just made an appointment and it turned out to be um, eight o'clock at night finally when he got here so it turned up with him and his woman and his and his kid and they walk in and they they have this device for hanging people upside down and by their feet And he said, uh, he explained the thing, and he said, well, the only way to really get it is to try it yourself. So then the next morning, we were hanging upside down on this device here, and it was an amazing experience. And, um, but the whole thing was, was, I had to decide whether I was going to hang upside down or not, and it, was, and it was kind of that wish of the universe that I hang upside down. So, okay. I'm going to hang upside down. Now, did I ever think about hanging upside down before? No. Is it something I really wanted to do? No. Did I have time for this? Well, not really. But the universe had this wish, and so I sort of said yes. And it was, I think that even in small things that we have those kinds of wishes from the universe that are influencing our life. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I really wonder what wishes are, because um, it seems to me that um, once you are ready to, to, fulfill, um, to fulfill your duty, mm -hmm. um, it is as if you are, you are given, like you said, certain... Um, like gifts, 
it's like gifts that um, this person came came up to you. Mm -hmm. It's like like the door is open for this direction. And then um, what I experience is that I just I just made a wish which is uh, quite colorful or has many things, but it's quite simple at the same time. And then things are coming, and and I'm feeling it's it's actually much more or um, how do you say it's um, overwhelming what is coming hmm. and and it seems that the next wish is coming but it's not actually an active wish it's more passive but not passive it's like um, Actually, some, often I think I have to do that. Mm -hmm. not, not that I have to do that, but it's like um, if I want this big picture, I, ju I just have to go with it. And a lot is to, to let go of certain things or certain wishes. Hmm. But uh, I think it's it's more to let go of certain wishes to fulfill the the bigger wish, mm -hmm. which has more layers. In, I think I was, I think I lived more than half of my life till I was thirty nine years old, trying to fulfill wishes from other people, like my father, mm -hmm. and. Somebody asked me when I was 39 years old, why are you doing your computer and electronics prototyping business? And I said, out of my mouth came the answer, I do this work because it's the kind of work that my father does. And all of a sudden I realized that it wasn't really, although it was fun, it wasn't really my wish. It wasn't really, and that it wasn't really my true wish. And out of that realization, I was able to make a big shift in my career. This was back in 1990. And um, I, I think the force of uh, our wish to survive somehow is, interferes with our wish to fulfill our wishes. Like there's a, um, you know, I wanted to be a good son for my father and that modeled my whole life up until I realized that that this was actually my life, not my father's life, and I could actually do what I was, what, what turned me on, and I didn't have to do what turned him on. And I think that that kind of a force is even bigger from our society, and I think that the society has certain wishes for people that are, for the most part, unrecognized, but are very influential on the decisions that we make about how we spend our lives and what we commit to. And uh, I, it takes somebody with great courage, I think, to look at the source of where a wish comes from, or like you were saying, what is the substance of this wish? And to, through the clarity of seeing the source of the wish, choose, be able to choose a different, a different path or a different dimension of wishes to fulfill. And if I was to put these on some kind of a, of a, a level of importance, I would say that this is one of the most important things that a person could ever do in their life, is to find out what wishes they're fulfilling 
and are they really their wishes or does it belong to their parents or to society and mm, the joy of of discovering that you have the ability to choose to fulfill a wish that isn't that um, hasn't been acknowledged or recognized by your parents or society but it's actually your wish I think I think people who do that live a really wonderful and interesting life although it may not be comfortable I think a lot of people are upset or um, get angry or scared when people start to do their own fulfill their own wishes and a person needs to um, be prepared for um, uh, dealing with other people's reactions to the kinds of wishes that you're deciding to fulfill there was a a quote from a guy in a play and he said that if you're going to fight for freedom you shouldn't wear your best pants because they're probably going to get dirty <laughs> what do you think about this noise I thought it's much louder than, <laughs> <laughs> than the train than the train we can just uh, keep the train going on too <laughs> here push this stop but that's like the more you are talking the more questions I get go <laughs> Actually, they are the same questions that mm -hmm. I have, but uh, I really want to know where where are the wishes coming from? You you answered it, but um, still I have the impression. For example, what you said that the I me too when I when I thought about it, there are many many wishes that are coming from outside, mm. um, which are influencing me. And also, if you say that the universe has wishes for us, they are also coming from outside. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Because yes, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have so many questions, cannot um, even say the questions. Um, but would, would you say that... Um, that really everything is created by wishes because I it seems to me that the wish is really a, um, one, of, uh, one of the biggest things you can misuse it so much mm -hmm. and you um, you can use it as well and it's like a, like a, like something which we which we got and I also think that there are some wishes which seems to be egotistical which are not hmm For example, the pop is, uh, says that ascetic mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. is going against world peace hmm. and that prosperity is actually for world peace. Hmm. So um, the pop said if you come with good karma, um, sometimes you cannot become rich because the seed of prosperity is missing. Hmm. And But this um, if everyone was, um, this starts now, let me see, what would I, um, I was talking about the prosperity, so, mm -hmm. um, actually, what, what do you think, are the wishes, um, our, are the wishes creating the, the world? the direction of where we're going? <clears throat> There's another resource 
that we haven't talked about yet, which is imagination. And as I work with my own imagination and with other people's imagination, I realize that most of our um, schooling was dedicated to cutting us off from our imagination. And so the imagination doesn't go anywhere, it's still there. And it's possible to reconnect to it. And as soon as you start to reconnect to your imagination, you have this incredible, endless... Keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you reconnect to your imagination, you, you regain this incredible, endless resource of possible wishes. Because uh, as soon as you can imagine it, then you can wish for that. And if you can't imagine it, then you can't wish for it. And when we're cut off from imagination, we can't, we're cut off also from these sort of nonlinear or wild wishes. We're cut off from them. Even though that's one of, the, one of our birthrights. It's a, it's a natural resource that we're born with. If you look at children, it's, they're just playing in imagination and then they have endless kinds of mommy, can I, daddy, I, I, I want to have this or like they have an endless source of wishes, most of which are impractical or impossible. But that resource then gets cut off. But if we reconnect to that, then all of a sudden that we have the, our wishes are empowered with full color and you know, full texture and multi, multiple dimensions that weren't there before. And uh, the, it's a question for me. Does, you know, it's like what um, imagination is wild. It's, it's, it's completely unpredictable. And yet it can actually be the source of real wishes. And yet I think the universe is wild and unpredictable also. And so, you know, if you have this, or if I have this question, is my imagination separate from the universe, or is it actually just uh, one of the aspects of the universe? Mm. uh, I think, for me, um, focusing on trying to figure out how, like, the science of wishes isn't so useful or interesting as the investigation into how can I actually connect, reconnect with my wishes and actually how can I, how can I become authentic in relationship to my wishes, to my true wishes. I think it's so important to admit what your wishes are, even if they are impossible, because otherwise you're deceiving yourself. Otherwise, you're keeping yourself in complete denial. You're lying to yourself about what you really want. And at least if you admit what you really want, what your true wish is, then at least you're not lying to yourself anymore. And even if you never accomplish it or never experience it, at least you're not lying to yourself. And I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. What what do you think about... um There are also people who have wishes, like going in an airplane and um, making this bomb and kill themselves and other people. Mm. What about those wishes? You know, you're entering into an interesting question because my personal opinion is it's not really their wish. I think it's 
ego wish or some businessman's wish somewhere. It's incredible how many soldiers from America are sacrificing their lives and their health and their future to fight a war in Iraq that serves nothing other than putting profits into the bank accounts of oil companies. It's uh, a terrible thing. That's why I think it's so important for people to discover what their wishes are. Because if you don't, if you're not able to acknowledge and hold your own wish, then you can just be a puppet for somebody else's wishes. And I think, uh, for the most part, government and large corporations have designed their marketing strategies to keep people weak and disconnected from their own wishes so that the people can hold and fulfill the wishes of government and corporations. But why is that? Why, why is this? Because it is, it is very often um, that, that people are cut off, or like you said, in, in, uh, even in school where you want to learn. Often you are sitting there it, and you feel much more, mm -hmm. much less rich um, than, than you were. But why, why is that? Well, you know, I've done some research on this and when you start to research where the design of the school curriculum comes from, it comes from corporations. It doesn't come from a wish for um, a bright and um, sustainable future for a child. It comes from what kind of a consumer should they be, what kind of a worker should they be, and it's designed completely by corporations. But, but why? I'll tell you why, but it's a horrible answer. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've just discovered this, and it makes the most sense to me out of everything, and I've just discovered it maybe two months ago. And it was because I had that why question my whole life. How come things aren't working better? How come there are so many people in non-governmental organizations and people really dedicated to serving other people and helping and making things better. How come the world looks like it is, even given this positive, energetic, helpful, intelligent forces of people out there? And I, I think it has to do originally with um, that we are using a hierarchical structure for designing our organizations. It seems it's the most um, acceptable and most understandable structure in a patriarchy. We're, this is a patriarchy. For the last 8,000 years it's been a patriarchy. And in a patriarchy there's a, a fewer and fewer power positions as you go up higher higher in the, in the hierarchy. And what we find is that those people who are most able to climb to the power positions in the hierarchy are the people who have the least compassion and who are the most ruthless. And it turns out that there, there's a brain scan test that you can do on human beings to discover that there's a, about 3% of the population is missing a certain brain function that connects their heart to their mind and they, they are categorically psychopathic. Psychopathic means that they can behave without feeling. So they don't actually have feelings. 
so they can make decisions in their life and take actions without feeling anything about the consequences of those actions. They don't feel sad, they don't feel scared, they don't feel angry, they just um, serve their mind. But why is that? Is it, is it true that they don't have feelings? Yeah. They couldn't even get access to the feelings? Never? Well, when they're children, they realize that they're different from other children. The psychopathic children realize they are different from other children. And they, they're, they're driven a lot by an unconscious kind of fear. And that, um, so they recognize that they're different from others, and so they try to actually behave so that they're not so easy to detect from the other children who want to be like the other children. You know that? We want to be like the other children. So these children from an early age learn how to um, imitate or mimic as if they have feelings when they think they should. Mm -hmm. But actually in brain scan tests that are, you, you, can't, you can't fool the test. Then when they, when they go through the test, a person m might, might be able to show a feeling or emotional response to a stimulus, but they do it only after their mind has decided that they should. It isn't, an, it isn't an automatic response. So there's this break. There's this break in there, a disconnect. And so the most, the, the hierarchy naturally filters out anybody who has compassion or anybody who has human, this human, this human aspect. And the ones who climb the ladder are the ruthless psychopaths. And in the last 50 years, in, in all around the world, the the hierarchical organizations have been essentially top-heavy and dominated by psychopaths. And there's no inclination at all to make a decision that would be beneficial for humanity or beneficial for people. The decisions are all made for personal gain. And that's why you have governments in America like we have now or corporations like we have now. But, but why are they there? Because I, I always believe that um, everything is made for us to learn and to go deeper on our path, let's say. Um, so why are they there? Why, why are they up there? Because the Prophet also says that um, you can just have a high... Um, a high level or a high um, job if you are if you have good karma. So this is good karma, I guess, but misused for or or turned upside down because they are. Mm. Yeah, I'm. It, mm. But were were they really tested also as children? No, this is a new discovery. It's oh, okay. a completely new discovery. So uh, nobody knew this until a year ago or something because we didn't have brain scams that were effective for this until very recently. So mm, mm, you asked a question before. What was the first um, thing you said? Why, why they are there, um, because yeah, everything yeah. is... <clears throat> yeah, so it, it, the reason, the valuable reason that I could find in, in the fact that we have 
handed over the responsibility for governing our countries and running our corporations to psychopathic personalities is the um, so that we can learn to take more responsibility ourselves and stop handing it over to leaders because it's a false it's a false wish or a false imagination to think that we can hand responsibility over to somebody else for deciding about the education of our children for deciding about our health and our what kind of medication we can take to decide about you know to decide about uh, which resources we um, burn the oil and the gas and the and the um, at what rate so that we can produce plastic throwaway um, life plastic throwaway life built out of resources that we'll never have again like who makes those decisions well it can't be psychopaths and we've handed all of this over to psychopaths and so the lesson is it doesn't work you have to take 100 percent radical responsibility for your own life and your own wishes and your own knowledge and your own intuition and wisdom and stop trying to hand that over to somebody else so that your life is more comfortable or that you don't have to worry about difficult decisions. I think that's the lesson. Yeah, I think it means the same if there are those people up, they 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 don't get up like like this. It's always we who are also the same kind of um, psychopathic that we that we um, protect and we give all our all our power to them mm -hmm. somehow like Hitler for example everyone voted for him so he could come up I think it's it wasn't we are an, connected no but it wasn't an accident it wasn't an accident that everybody voted for him it was a manipulated um, environment where you didn't have a choice except to vote for him. Same in America. But before, it developed to this, to this, it developed yeah, But it develops out of people giving their responsibility away. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, so we're part of it. It's our, that's yes. what I'm saying. This is the lesson to learn. Yeah, it, I think they are just, um, perhaps like, If, if one sees it from the energetic part, it's like something I give out. Mm -hmm. I create because I don't want to have it. I, mm -hmm. I just um, put it there and then they are doing... It's not... It's not we, we don't leave it in ourselves like I'm responsible. Because this is... I see it always that I don't want to have this. It's mm -hmm. in, in everyday life, every mm -hmm. second you have to take care so much to to really keep the, not the power, I don't know, the power or your wishes with yourself. Not to manipulate, not to give it out, mm -hmm. not to stay passive. So... I still don't think you get it yet about in a hierarchy, like I work with companies, I work with managers in companies, and when I go interview them, when I'm making uh, agreements to provide trainings for their people, there's a, it's a very clear sense of what their true concern is, and their true concern is, in 80% of their attention, 
and energy is focused on one thing, which is protecting their position in the hierarchy and how to move up in the hierarchy. And it's a game. It's just a game for them. And it, it doesn't matter what they have to do to get the next higher position. That's just the game. And that filters out people who have a sense of responsibility or a sense of consciousness, who have conscience, people who have remorse, people who regret things or people who consider things are immediately eliminated from moving up in a hierarchical structure. So by using that design for our, for our meetings and for our um, projects, that, that eliminates um, the human element and automatically filters out power-hungry people. It isn't the power itself that corrupts the people. It's corrupt people seeking power. And that's a complete change around for us. And it's, it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to, um, to dismantle large governments and corporations and run on, on have, uh, you know, no bigger than eight or twelve people in a company. And that's it. It's a group, a small team where you can run a project and then, then everybody's responsible. And it's a completely different orientation than now. We're, this whole thing called globalization you know what yes. I mean? Where you put a McDonald's on every corner and a Starbucks on every, replace every cafe that has culture and elegance, you replace it with a Starbucks that has plastic cups that float out in the ocean and drown the whales. I mean, it's like that concept of globalization is, is um, a psychopathic concept. And uh, it's hammered into us. Mm ever since childhood it comes in that the wish to behave in in um, as a sheep the wish to behave as a sheep in a psychopathic society um, is hammered into us ever since we were children and so it's normal for us and to break out of that is a huge huge challenge and it's totally possible and I would suggest that the power for that comes from finding our true wishes and following them rather than the wishes of the companies and the society. I would encourage everybody to do that. Please. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. <coughs> and still, I have the same question. Mm -hmm. I, still, I... Because I... My, my vision is that, that everything is for something and that everyone has this goodness in, in themselves and that nothing that happens just like that. So I wonder if, um, if this, like, like the drama triangle, because mm. it's always they and we, and I hate they and we. Because... Mm. Um, And, and I ask, why is it like that? Why is it possible that children transform or that children are born in that way? Mm -hmm. And why is it possible that they transform? Why is it possible if you open your eyes and just see one, I mean, just see one of those plastic things, for example. Mm -hmm. You go in a forest and you see all this rubbish. It hurts you, no? Mm -hmm. I am... Um, 
why is that possible? Why is this disconnection possible? And why is it possible that this can survive so so long? Mm -hmm. Even though there are so many good examples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, what we don't understand, what the new information is. The new information is that when there's a genetic break, so that there's a cut between um, empathy and thought, so that those are, it's a break, it's a genetic break, that we don't understand it's actually a different species. It's, a, it's, it's more than a handicap. You know, when a child is born with no eyes, or with their, you know, half of their guts outside of their body, or no toes, you know, or their, they have no arms and legs, just fingers. I can show you pictures that are horrible. This is happening because America and Britain and Israel are using weapons of mass destruction in their wars now that use depleted uranium. Depleted uranium is a byproduct, a waste product of nuclear power generating plants. And the governments don't know what to do with it. And they find out it's heavy and hard and they can use it fantastically for blowing up tanks and for making bunker buster bombs that they can drop out of an airplane that goes straight through steel buildings all the way into the basement and blow up the whole building. And the only problem is that it leaves 4.5 billion years of radioactive depleted uranium waste in the dust of, of the whole village and town and the cities where they use those weapons. And those weapons have been used by the tons since 1991. In every war that America has fought since 1991, those weapons are being used. And, if and you, still? Still now, still today, still this moment in Afghanistan right now, and just recently in Lebanon by Israel, and in Bosnia, and in Kosovo, there are babies being born that are completely, horribly handicapped. They're just these birth defects. They're just horrible. And the, like, so you're asking for what's the reason? That's the reason. And, I mean, in my world, it's called gremlin. It's like people have this part that's called gremlin that is the part that can behave irresponsibly. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just irresponsible, it's unconscious. And when there's no connection between my behavior and consciousness, then, well, I can just blow up anybody. I can contaminate anybody. I can build big bombs because I make a profit or whatever. And I, for me, the why part is, um, it's a mistake. You know, it's like there is a separate species of humanity that's born. It's like a birth defect, except that it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not recognizable on the outside as a birth defect. It's now recognizable with a brain scan. But, uh, and there's really, there's nothing you can do to change that. A person, and it isn't, it turns out to be not a genetic thing either. It can just kind of arise in a family where nobody has been psychopathic before. It can just occur. They're finding this. And, um, yeah, but if you're looking for a reason for it, to me, the whole reason is to, is to wake up and say, it's, you know, detect if somebody has a heart. And if they're going to use their heart, then in their thinking, if they're going to use their heart in their thinking, then 
you, what you have is a certain kind of human being, and that human being will, will promote life. And if you have a person who can make decisions without their heart, then you have a different kind of human being who will make decisions that don't serve humanity and that don't serve um, anything but their own power and position and survival. And this, you know, don't listen, don't, like, don't believe what I say. If you want, there's books and articles about this that you can start to read about what's being discovered. No, I... Mm -hmm. I read a lot from your homepage, mm. anyway. Because mm -hmm. um, those people have, to have wishes too. Would mm -hmm. you call them wishes? I mean, are those wishes from the same material? I'm just thinking of um, those experiments with the water, mm -hmm. with the crystals. Mm -hmm. Those and this is also material then mm -hmm. the, how they are changing and those wishes are from another they are completely cooked or you mean when you for example put a, a wish or a yes. word on the glass and it changes the structure of the, of the water yes I mean the wishes of those of those leaders um, to destroy mm -hmm. You what know, can you? How can you call it? I mean, what kinds of wishes are there? It's amazing. Marion and I did uh, an experiment about two weeks ago, and we took about an hour or so to do this experiment. And the experiment was, we shifted identity. So, I became a high-placed politician, psychopathic politician in the American government, and she became the. CEO, the general director of Monsanto Corporation. And then we had this conversation with each other about what shall we do or how, how life looks to us. And I was completely shocked by how it looked to me because I had absolutely no concern at all for the fact that I might be doing something wrong or bad. It was, I was completely untouched by the consequences of how many people would starve, how many people would die. I, it wasn't touching me at all. It was a, a shocking experience. And for Marion, as the director of Monsanto, it was, you know, Monsanto is one of the big manufacturers of genetically modified organisms. And she remembered when, in the earlier days, when they first discovered that they could actually modify genes and create different changes in plants, how exciting that was and how, what an, you know, as a research scientist, what a great discovery this was. And so that's where the inspiration first came from, exploring, you know, an innocent exploration of, of cool new stuff. And then it got out of, it got out of her hands. It got bigger than, than she could manage. And it snowballed into this big thing of profits and taking over the crops in India so they had to buy the genetically modified organisms and all the fertilizers that were required to keep those plants alive and then the machines to harvest them and all of those big money makers and it got completely out of her hands and she felt so um, um, overwhelmed by how big it was that she was powerless now absolutely powerless to change anything and the best thing that she could do is retire early and go to some live on some resort place and try to forget the whole thing and disconnect from it what an amazing experiment but i think that's really the kind of thing that's going on out there that 
the, a, a psychopathic leader in a company or a government has no experience at all of the consequences of their actions in terms of of the the um, com the humanity of it or not. We, mm -hmm. Your question before was, well, what's the material of that wish, or where yes. does those wishes come from? Is it a different question? Or yes. Mm -hmm. I don't. Uh, I think now, I think we have to stop. Ah. stop. Yeah, okay. Because when you, I mean, it's a horrible thing, but when you're talking about Hitler, his vision for purifying the German people by getting rid of the gypsies and the Jewish people and the, the whoever else were needed to get rid of to purify the the wish was ostensibly or believably it was a good wish or a, a smart wish or intelligent wish or it, it, it was like it was almost like well you know let's clean up the floor you know of course you have to sweep away the dirt and that's a good wish and mm, you're asking about some some objective or maybe some um, universal perspective on if a wish is is useful or not or beneficial or not or something like that and you know this I think is that um, the koan or the impossible mm -hmm. riddle for us to figure out as human beings is what's the good wish what's the what's the true wish how do we take how do we take responsibility at the level where the, the full consequences of fulfilling the wish are inherent in our awareness of the wish? Like what, how, does, how do we encompass the whole, you know, the whole life of the wish if it's fulfilled? Uh, and that question, I think, will, will be forever being answered by us, the challenge. I think it's wishes are so fragile mm. and I just it came to my mind for example what we did in camp mm -hmm. um, when we were working on I am a stand for mm. who I am is a stand for and actually for me it was horrible not because I didn't want to take responsibility or but I, I think that everyone has already a stand and how it was, it was too loud. It was too fast, too loud, too... I think if someone is a stand for something, you cannot mm. shout it out. Because either you are or you are not. And I cannot say I am a stand for being a glass of water or saving the world, because if it's not in... This also is... This was for me too that someone expected now would be a stand for something great. But mm. what is great? Mm. It can be so great to just be very simple, a simple worker, and just to clean your garden and just to have a wonderful house and finish. And this can be so much more rich and, and beautiful and, and magic than... running around with flags and... Shouting. <laughs> yeah.
Thank you, Jerry.